Um, here we go. Start the clock, start the feed. You might have already started the feed by now, but, uh, but here we go. Uh, last week, uh, we're in this sermon series, 2020, and last week in a way that, you know, there's just some sermons that you do that just God says this is important, and not only does it get a response here, a witness, I bear witness to it here, but it, God gets it out. And I've been getting calls and emails and texts and uh, words and so on from people all week long about that sermon last week. So if you did not hear it, I'm telling you, please watch it. I, for reasons that I think will become more evident in the coming weeks, this is critically important, critically important. And regardless of anything else, it's just critically important. But that was part one. And now we're to part two. And just to briefly bring everybody up to speed, and I'm doing this in two minutes, but we took an hour to do, or longer than an hour. Uh, what we did last week was real simple, is we looked at this idea of what is it that God is doing and why? And what we did in that sermon, real simple, is we just said there is this thing, a zeitgeist transition that's taking place in our world right now. We looked at more than just this, but just as an example and a referent, go to the changes that happened in the 60s. Zeitgeist simply means the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age before the 60s was Father Knows Best and the whole thing. We looked at it. It was a certain, there was a reason for it. There was a certain way of seeing the world, seeing what was important, seeing what you go for, seeing what you do and what you don't do and why and the whole thing. And then the 60s came. And when the 60s came, here was this one movement from the 50s and before, and now here come the 60s, and bam! And there, they met up, and when they met up, it was, anybody who lived through it knows, it was as polarizing or more so than what's happening right now. It was just division everywhere, and it was the ripping apart of families, and, the, and it, was just, it was just two totally different worldviews to totally different ways of looking at life and what was important and why and all that kind of stuff that just came and they met head on. And what we argued last week is, is that that's part of a thing called a dialectic and that when, those, when that happens, the first thing that happens is just that, look, you have to reject what has come before in order to find a new thing. But the point is, we always think that the new thing is what the new people are bringing, and that's not true. What we saw last week was the 50s was going this way, the 60s was going this way. They met, it was friction, it was, it was literally war in the streets, literally bombings, literally people dying for what was going on at that point in time. But then, the thing that God was trying to do became evident the thing that he was destroying. And that's so it wasn't the 50s or the boomers. It was a new thing entirely that came out of it. A whole new way of seeing the world, of understanding it, of how to process it and so on. And that became the new thing and then it goes on from there. And now we're having the same thing happen right now. The way that the millennials who have started it, but zeitgeist means every age, the spirit of the age is the literal translation of that. And what we've got is, is that we've got people of every age are starting to see life differently. They're starting to see things differently. They're starting to see how things work and why they work and all the differences. Is there any way to pull these down just a little bit? I'm getting just a little blinded and it's distracting me. And if you can't do it without wrecking it, 
don't touch it. <laughs> okay, thanks. But but so the point that I'm the point that I'm going after is 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 eventually God did what he did and it became the thing that we've been living in for the last 50 years, the boomer. But now here comes the millennial and we're right at that teenage years of a zeitgeist transition. We haven't it hasn't matured. It hasn't become the thing it's going to be. It hasn't entered into its life. But what it is is it's in the awkward divisive fighting time. See it? So that's where we are. And we said, we don't know what's going to come next. We don't know what's going to happen from it. We just know that we're in it and recognize that we're in it so that we can start doing things like praying, like seeking the Lord for it, asking him what he's doing, why he's doing it, how he's doing it, the whole nine yards. You get it? So um, is this too distracting? Do I need to wait? I think, I think we're okay. We're, yeah, it was a little better before. Let me just... Doggone it. I shouldn't have said anything. Just go back to the setting that it was. That's too bright, though. Just knock it down and leave me alone. Don't adjust anymore, okay? Thank you. Uh, yeah, you can't go down a little bit? What I was saying is pull these down just so I'm not blinded. Yeah, I know. That's what I was saying. Just Never mind. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm asking you, this is too important. And I'm asking you, don't let me get distracted. This is too important. Your kingdom come, your will be done, your word be spoken. In Jesus' holy and precious name. The second part of what we were doing was the nuns and the duns. And we just looked at how these people that don't believe that there's any God and they don't, they've rejected religion in total and so on. And that's the fastest growing segment of the culture by far. Then... There is the duns, and these are people that really love God. They have a great relationship with him. They are genuine believers, but they have recognized that as the boomer age is getting old long in the tooth, as it is getting to its end, it's frayed. The things that were really good at the beginning are not so much the things that are very worldly and mankindish of it have shown more and more. And now there's just a lot of people that are just done. They're just, you know, this is just, I'm not, whatever it is that God wanted me to do in this time, it isn't happening, and I'm just not bearing witness to it. And so there's a lot of people that are done. And again, it starts with the boomers, but it's going all ages too. Done's now, I'm getting all kinds of, from young, middle, old, that you put into words what's been happening in my life. I just don't feel like what we're doing is what we're supposed to be doing. So I just don't want to be a part of that. And there's just this doneness to it. Now, that's what we looked at last week. This week, if that's true, and I believe it is true, what are we supposed to do about it? Okay? So what we're looking at this week is, what is God doing with the church and why? This is going to be look, a look at what he's doing with the church. So with that, Josh Morris, again, God, thank you for your choices. Josh, this is perfect, and again, for lots of reasons. But Josh, would you pray for the sermon, and would you lift up another church too? Father, thank you for leading us in your presence. Let our hearts and our minds be focused on what you want us to hear and the word that you've given Kurt. Holy Spirit, you are Lord of our lives. Lead us today. Father, thank you for North Coast um, Family Church in Seaside. And I just ask that you would continue to increase 
their influence in the community, um, to the lost, to the broken, to those that need you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And I just want to say thank you for doing that. Thank you, I appreciate it. So I recognize that was awkward and weird, and, but thank you, okay? Um, okay, let's take inventory. Here's where we are right now. God is bringing transition because things are broken. They're not functioning like they're supposed to. They're not doing the life that was in them, has run its course, There's a, and he's bringing a new thing, Right? So we aren't able yet to see what that transition will be. And that's just so key. That's the thing the Lord's been saying over and over. We're just not to where we understand what comes next. And we can't know what comes next. We can just look at what's happening and take some inference from it, but we gotta be careful when we do that. We know that God is gonna tell us before he does it, though. We do know that, right? He was telling us that we were going into this for years, and now he's doing what he's doing right now. And in fact, this is what the word says about that. The sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plan to his servants, the prophets. And let me, let me reword that because that's Old Testament. The sovereign Lord, meaning he's in control, sovereign, the sovereign Lord never does anything without speaking it. The issue then is, is are we listening? Let me rephrase that. The issue then is, is are we praying for whatever it is that he wants, not even knowing what he wants? Are we praying it in a way that when he starts to do it, we'll see it? Do you see the connection there? If we'll just wait for him to talk to us and be busy about our lives, are you going to hear it? No. But if you will be seeking it, speaking it into existence, letting the Holy Spirit pray through you according to the heart and the will of the Lord, if you will be a participant in making this come to pass, not by planning, but by praying, then when God starts to do something, you'll be like Simeon was when Jesus comes into the temple. Because here's a guy, Simeon, who's been told by the Lord he's gonna do something, he has no idea what it is. He's, and then one day the Lord says, go to the temple today. And when he goes to the temple, he sees the baby Jesus, and then he knows who this Jesus is. Other people, even when he got older, did miracles, didn't know who he was, because they weren't praying for it, so they didn't see it. Simeon was praying for it. Literally, he helped pray it into existence. Do you see that? He wants us to speak into existence like he does. And so he was praying for this to come, and then when it happened, boom, he saw it. This is where we want to be, right? So with that in mind, the sovereign Lord speaks. Are you praying in a way where you can hear? Now, so we can get some sense of this now with the caveat that we have to be very careful to not bring old wineskin ideas into the new thing that God's trying to do. You see that? Because it's going to be truly new. It's going to be truly him, truly new. As I keep saying, the whole point about the rejection and the collision is that it breaks the moorings to everything old so that God can do something new. And when he does something new, then all ages, everybody, to not every, not every single person, but you get the drift, the whole culture goes, oh, that, that. I can bear witness to that. Now it's a new zeitgeist. Now it's a new age, and it'll run its own course over time. See it? So there's the pattern. So the first question we want to ask is, what is church supposed to be? We have 
many guides to this, but the most beautiful one, in my opinion, is this. Ephesians 4. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Messiah Jesus' gift. Now, let me paraphrase that and tell you what that says. Every single person in here has been given a measure of grace, which is to say a gift. Every single person in here has been given a gift, and we're all supposed to exercise whatever those gifts are in order to be the full body of Christ. It's not just the eyes, it's not just the legs, it's not just, it's the whole body rightly and fitly joined, as again, as scripture says, when you come together, everyone brings their gifts to contribute. Every single person is supposed to be contributing to what Sunday morning, to what the rest of our church experience, to what the rest, our whole body life is about. Everybody is supposed to be contributing something. Now, let me say something about this body. To an extraordinary degree, this church has been this for 20-some years now. When we go through lists and try and figure out who can do what, most of the time what we find is there's hardly anybody that's not doing something. Now, I would say, enter into it more and more according to the gift that God has given you because here's the point. When you enter into what God is gifting you to do, that's not just going to benefit them. That's going to benefit you. <laughs> do it for them, but it's going to grow you when you enter into what he's called and made you to be. Okay? Now, so here's what he's saying. Now, he says, everybody's got a gift from God, but... When it comes to the church, there's five offices. That's the proper translation of the word. It's not a charismata. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing that is given, but it's an office. And there's five of them. He personally, Jesus personally, not the Holy Spirit, not the Father, Jesus personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Every church is supposed to have this in their midst. It's not that everybody here is these things. It's that a church has to have this at its core in order to function in the fullness of what a church is to be. Now, if you study these things, and I'm not gonna go into it in any detail, what happens is apostles, prophets, and evangelists build the church. And then what happens is the church grows too fast. It's not really well organized. And so pastors and teachers come in and they start to organize it. And what they'll end up doing, and this is the truth of most churches at this point in time, the pastors and the teachers will start organizing it in a way that will actually take the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist outside of the church. They'll start running the church in order to organize it well. And then you'll go bell curve. The, the first three will build it, and then it will die. What was supposed to happen is the first three are always building, and the other two are always managing. They're supposed to be in harmony, but they end up in conflict. Having said that, Jesus' goal was both building and organizing, doing it well. So there we go. Now, watch this. Just real quickly, I want you to see that this is Jesus' gift. We have God's gifts, okay? We have about five lists in church of gifts. And the first one is God. God is in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God. In other words, some of these gifts up here have to do with the way that God has made you to be. And that is God whole, 
right? You have certain talents. You have certain abilities. You have certain natural inclinations and giftings. He made you distinctly and uniquely with certain things for a reason. So that's what God does, and that's the Father's heart, but it's also the fullness of. But when you get to the Holy Spirit and when you get to Jesus, they have an additional list where this is something that they do, just that part of the Godhead. You see it? Holy Spirit gifts. This is word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation. Now, here's what this is. Whether you're in a gathering like this or whether you're at coffee or whether you're in some other place, every person in here can move in any one of these things because the Holy Spirit, it says, will distribute as he wills. Meaning you're at coffee with somebody and all of a sudden he gives you a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. He'll, he'll give you a gift to heal. He'll do a miracle. He'll give you faith. He'll give you distinguishing spirits. He'll give you a prophetic word. He'll give you a tongue. He'll give you an interpretation of a tongue. Okay? Now, that's, I know that's on a practical level. But, but here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit, this is what he does. He lives in each one of us. And when we're in a ministry situation, there's something that we need that he can do. So he just comes through if you'll let him. If you've asked him to empower you, baptize you in the Holy Spirit, he will flow through you to meet that need. Even sometimes if you haven't asked for that. Because he likes to meet the need. <laughs> and if you're there trying to help, he's going to help you help. So the Holy Spirit empowers. That's what we're saying. But now watch. Now we're coming back to offices of Jesus for the church. The ones we just looked at. And these are things he puts in the church in order that the church will function in the fullness that God wants. And what's that mean? Well, listen to this. I'm using the Passion Translation here. I want to make something clear the Passion Translation is not a word for word. There's two ways of translating, and then there's mixtures of both. On one extreme is what we call a word for word. It means here's the Greek word. Do your best job of, of, of interpreting, of translating that word. The other one is, is if you were a person living in that day and age and you were hearing these words, what is happening in you? What are you getting out of what's being said? See, we're not in that day and age, so when we hear words that are word for word, a lot of times we miss the impact, the depth. These words, in, the, in this kind of a translation, a paraphrase they call it, in a paraphrase, it's not an, an inaccurate translation at all. It's just be careful. Don't, be, don't rely on just word for word and don't rely on just this. But having said this, it's trying to get across what's trying to be said in a way that a modern reader will hear it, understand it, and process it the way someone did back then. See it? So with that in mind, their calling, meaning the five, right? The calling of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to key their own works of ministry. No, empower them to do what the church wants them to do. No. Empower them to do who God made them to be, who God's calling them to be. See it? To their own works of ministry, which is to say in the way that we usually say it, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. But again, it's, a, it's what's your calling, ministry. What's your thing? And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. See, if, if you grow, 
the consequence of that will naturally be others. You'll help others grow. That's what you're doing. But you got to grow up. Others will grow up too. I want to say right here, right now, this is where the church is failing the most in America today. If there's something that's broken, and there is, this is it. People are not entering into their ministry, and so they're not being discipled. Because the best way to be discipled by far, and there isn't a close second, is for you to do what God tells you to do. He'll put you in a situation where you have to cry out to him, and he will show himself in a way that you never knew him before. And when that happens, you will grow. It will change you. And then he'll do it again. And then he'll do it again. That's how we grow. That's how we're supposed to grow. As they do this, they will enlarge the bill of the Christ. These graced ministries will function until we all attain oneness in the faith, till we all start to really get it, which is to say, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know, to really know Jesus, the Son of God. For real, ever bigger. If you think you got God figured out, if you think, you've got, if you, think you know and you're comfortable, that's just because you're not trying anymore. In skiing, what they say is if you're not falling, you're not learning. I'm old enough to where I don't care about learning anymore, I just care about not falling. Okay? But you're not supposed to do that spiritually. Finally, we become, look at this, finally we become one perfect man. One perfect man, meaning you are being perfected. He who began the work in you will be faithful to complete it. But it's also us together will become one perfect body of Christ. See it? One perfect man with the full dimensions of the spiritual maturity and fully developed in the, you see it? The abundance of Christ. Again, I keep trying to say this. There's more to him than we know. So go after it. Enter into the ministry. Put yourself in a place where God shows up. And then when God shows up, you'll be blown away. Like the disciples. And then our immaturity will end. <laughs> we won't be tossed around by winds and waves anymore. We'll not be easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teaching or by false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. The body of Christ in America is dying because people are so immature that these people are coming in and telling people, they're not even Christians, and they're telling people what the Bible says, and the Christians are believing it because they don't know any better because they don't really know Christ, they don't really know their doctrine, they don't really know what's going on, and they have bought a lie. They're buying something that is infinitely less than what God can do. And this goes from the same-sex conversation, but all the way through. People who do not know God are telling Christians all the time who God is, and the Christians are believing them. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing ever. If we were out there ministering and doing works and discovering who Jesus was, that stuff would just be water off a duck's back. It wouldn't matter a lick. You see it? This is what the church is supposed to do. Right there. No better description than all of scripture. This is what God's trying to do in the gathering of the saints. 
putting them together in a body of Christ. So if from that, how do we discern or assess any church? Now watch this. I want to show you something. This church, any church, you can make an assessment if you'll do one question. Are they trying to grow the church or the person? What really is at the heart of what they're doing? Let's be clear about something. There are some people who are craven and deceived enough that what they were really trying to do was grow the church. We had probably the most infamous example of that in Seattle, just down the street. A person whose goal was to become America's pastor and who was abusing people in order to have his vision fulfilled. I'm not going to go into any more detail than that, but that's what happened. And the, and the way that people were being treated was abominable, which is what brought the church down. Because it wasn't God, it was a man. Let's be clear, though. That man started in a very good place. Deeply anointed, deeply gifted, deeply desiring to help people. It's just that things get twisted sometimes. Important principle to remember. Not just him, us. Are they trying to grow the person, the church or the person? Well, let's just look at a couple of dimensions. If you're in the business, and I hate that, but if you're in the business that I'm in, pastoring a church, there are these church consultants. And there are many different flavors, many different kinds. They're certainly not all bad. But the general rule of thumb about the ones you should stay away from, do this. They come in and they tell you, your worship and your sermons have to be highly entertaining. It's an entertainment culture. Now listen to the good word of that. Here's what they're saying. They're not just evil people saying, you're just feeding your ego, and we understand you're feeding your ego, so here's how to feed your ego. Here's what they're saying. People are out there getting great culture. They're getting great music, and they're getting great fun things to watch, and they got all kinds of other things going on. And if you're ever have, gonna have any hope of getting to them, you're going to have to do something that brings them to where you can have any impact on them. Do you see it? So what they're saying is, is you gotta do a few things. One is, you gotta be funny. I mean, super funny. Literally, this person I just talked about in the foreword of his book said, here's the traits of what it takes to be a megachurch pastor. You have to be really funny. And that's true. That's what it takes to attract a lot of people. People wanna laugh. We love laughing. It makes us feel better. I go to church and I feel better because I laughed. That's not bad. A congregation that can laugh easily is critical. If you can't laugh easily, it's because everybody's afraid. If everybody's afraid, that's lousy. But if you're genuinely loving each other, a family should laugh easily, right? So there's truth in it, but understand what we're doing is truth versus getting it off base. So here we go. Worship and sermons are highly entertaining. But ultimately, when you go back and you listen, I literally listened to a megachurch pastor because I was praying about this and I felt like the Lord led me to do it. And I listened to a megachurch pastor. And it was about an hour-long sermon, which would be unusual for a megachurch pastor. It was about an hour-long sermon. And I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to get us to be discerning. And, and here's what happened. There was about a 20-minute story right in the middle of the sermon that was hilarious and fun, and it made people want to belong, and it, it, gave, it, it touched all the right buttons in terms of what you would do in order to be popular in ways that were self-effacing and everything else. It was, it was a, but it was a 20-minute story that absolutely had nothing to do with the sermon, not really. 
There was an attempt to tie it in, but it was just a story. And it was right in the middle, and it was this whole long thing. And then I took that story out, and I said, so what did that pastor just tell me? It was super simple. Now, let's be clear. I overcomplicate. I try and take the complicated and make it simple, and I think I do pretty good at that. But I still don't boil it down enough. Mark Twain said, I didn't have time to write you a short letter. Okay, it's hard to do. And I'm not smart enough either, by the way. I think there are some people that are just super, super, super smart, and they can take it further than I can take it in terms of making it simple. So I'm not talking about it not being simple. I'm talking about it being life-changing. It's not got to be some principle that you've heard a thousand times, and now you just heard it a little differently. It's got to be something that really gets a hold of your heart and goes, that's important, that's different. Do you get it? So let me just go on. A church, a church consultant would tell you your entire service has got to be about an hour. An hour and 15 would be the, what they recommend. The whole thing's got to be an hour. It's got to be click and literally you're timing. You're timing every announcement. You're timing everything. Now, let's be clear. I'm not that. But let's also be clear. I'm on the other side of that in a way that's bad. Because John, John Iwasaki, way long time ago, and I've never fixed it, but John Iwasaki said, and he meant this as a compliment and a comment which would be a nice way of saying what he was saying. He said, you know, your sermons are seven-course meals. You know? Now, sometimes you like a seven-course meal, but it can be hard to get all of the tastes. <laughs> it can be hard to get all of that. And it's not unusual for somebody to walk out of a sermon saying, well, he said a lot of things, and I think I got it. You know what I mean? But I hope it's communicated. So let me not critique myself anymore. Let me just move on, okay? You gotta be short, because that's what, that's what it is. I feel like something else. I felt, did anybody remember that thing in Flashdance where, you know, the, the original Flashdance and the guy was preaching and the young kid saw him and he said, you know, it's just a show for you, isn't it? And the guy said, I have 45 minutes out of an entire week. If I don't hone it in a way that it's gonna make a difference, I'm not doing anything of value. I think we're putting on a lot of services right now that are meant to do one thing and one little thing, and really what they're meant to do is attract more people. And they're, they're doing something. There's not, you know, right? The world's gray. It's never just simple. It's never all black or all white, or that's, you can't say those words anymore. So it's not all dark or all light. See what I mean? And they pressure people to serve to meet the organization's need in a way where it'll become apparent that growing the people who serve is not, not only not a priority, it, well, it's not the priority, but it's not a priority. Have you ever been treated poorly in your service? Even here. But here's what we say. The person is more important than the program. Now, the program's important. Why? See, here's how people think about it. They think, well, we're trying to minister to these, say, kids, or we're trying to minister to these people, and we need to minister to them well, right? We need to do a good job of ministering to them, right? And you do. So you can't just do anything, right? But there's a way of being all about them and not really about the person serving in a way that they don't grow. They're just critiqued. They're just judged, they're just moved on, they're just a cog in your wheel to do what your organization needs done in terms of that ministry. Do you see it? 
And that's the thing that we absolutely fight against all the time, and again, unsuccessfully sometimes. But what we go after is, we're going after that you're important and that God's trying to grow you too. And we're going to do with you in that ministry in a way, we're gonna put you in that ministry in a way where you have to grow. We're gonna put more weight on you than you might be comfortable with. We might put you in a situation. When you fail, we're gonna be there to help you. We're gonna help, you know, you see what I mean? Are you oriented to growing the person or the program? Is it about growing the person that God loves or growing the organization? So we get it. I can move on from here. Bottom line, no matter the words, What's the deepest wellspring in the heart? And here's what I want to say. We all know it. You walk into a place, it can be big, it can be small, and we know, you know what? The heart and the spirit behind this thing. Or we walk into a big thing or a small thing and we go, wow, good heart here. Good heart. It's not a function of size. It's a function of heart. The fish stinks from the head, it rots from the head. What's the heart behind the people that are serving me? Is it for them to minister to me in a way that I can minister to others and grow in that? Because that's Ephesians. Or is it something else? See it? Okay. So that's what a church is supposed to do. Now what is, what's it supposed to look like? Well, real simple. Every gift being used... We already talked about it. Larger than self, prophetically led, and then intimate enough. Now, every gift being used, we already talked about. The ones we're really gonna be focusing on are these other two. But let me just hit each one of these so that we understand them. Every gift being used. Let me just show you what God has done in Lake Sam in order to try and make this true. Most of you, not most of you, many of you have been around long enough to remember back when we had pastors like a normal church that did everything, a worship pastor and a youth pastor and a kids pastor and a this pastor and that pastor. And we had pastors that did all the things that they did. And then what happened was in 2008, God came and said, discipleship's in the toilet. The professionals here got together, prayed about it. We came to the conclusion, the pros of the problem. The people who are the professionals are growing like weeds because they're having to go to God, but they're organizing so beautifully for people that they're not actually growing because there's no stretch. There's no challenge. There's no growth. So what we did is we, we transitioned them out and we went to steering teams. It took us a couple of years to get there. Now I wanna say something, the worship steering team. This is just one good example. There were many others. Youth had a great run of it. Several steering teams had a great run, but worship steering team is the one that showed me, I'll understand something. Whenever God is trying to do something new, the first thing he has to do is to touch because we don't know what it is. We don't know how to get there. So the first thing he does is he touches. Think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The disciples are together. They're praying. What happens? Sound of a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. That was a touch. That never happens again. Never. Because once he's touched and showed that it's him, then we're supposed to be entering into it by faith. And by the time you get to the end of Acts, the, the second time that anybody's baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's the Gentiles and they just spontaneously start speaking in tongues. That's a touch. 
But by the time we get to the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth times where people are being said to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and saved, you don't have any touch happening anymore. Now God has moved it from, I showed you what it's supposed to look like. Now watch this. What he's saying is, is do you now want it? Now that you've seen it, do you want it? And if you do, then pray for it and ask for it. And trust me that I'll give a good gift to somebody who's asking. Faith. It goes from trust to faith, always. That's always the movement. So here we go. We did steering teams and with worship steering team, Troy Smith was such a brilliant worship leader. Brilliant, still is. Unbelievable. The best worship that I ever experienced in my entire life was the worship steering teams after Troy left. The, the, the presence of God was so thick in this place. Right after he left, we had a rough go. But then the steering team really kicked in. About, it took about a year. And after that year, for about three, four years, every time I'd walk in the building, I would say, am I supposed to preach today or do we just do a healing service right now or something else? My biggest regret in all my pastoral life at this church is I never did that. I've done it other times, but I didn't do it then, and it was a big mistake. Having said that, the worship was unbelievable. God was touching it to show what would happen when you distributed weight, because we were taking it away from the pro, and we were bringing it back to people. The next thing that happened was, 2012, we started having people from the congregation preach. I don't know why God's not blessing that right now, by the way. I think I actually do know. But I don't want to go into it yet until I understand it. But for years and years and years, for how long was it? Probably eight years, nine years, ten years, we had people, well, it wouldn't be ten years yet, but, but for a long time, people were preaching from the congregation, and I maintain this to my, that was the, some of the best sermons that were ever preached in this place were right then, and the best preaching overall for a bunch of different people and a congregation that was the best run of sermons that I ever heard in my life. People that had never preached before would stand up here and say things that, let's be clear about it, they were not good enough to say. They didn't know enough, they didn't know how to speak, they didn't know anything, but God loved what we were doing and he was anointing it. He was touching and he was saying, here's what to do. And then they would do it. And I, I still remember this day, Eric Lee, his second sermon, his first one was in it. His second one was probably the best single sermon I've ever heard in this building. And it was so, I know some of you may remember it, but he was talking about his college years and some things. And he told a sermon, and I'm telling at one moment towards the very end, it was, there wasn't a person, there was nobody even moving. There was no noise. There was no, people were hanging on every syllable that was coming out of his mouth because every syllable was dripping with anointing. It was, <laughs> thank you, God. This is why I can't go back, by the way. I experience those things and I go, why? I now know what it's supposed to look like. Why would I ever go back to that impoverished thing that we call church? Now, this is what I needed to say real quickly. Let me just add that in 2015, he started stripping us down. I've now maintained, I now can say it. It took me a long time to be able to say this because I didn't want to put lipstick on a pig. If we were just losing people because I preached too long or because we were too poorly organized or something like that, I didn't want to put a good excuse on it. 
and fail to deal with the real problem. And I think that there were real problems with me preaching long and with, with all that. But the bottom line was, is that I am now confident in saying, and you can discern, and I might be wrong still, but I'm confident that what the Lord was doing was, you cannot change something when everybody is very happily invested in it. If everybody was here today, as was here back in 2014, God couldn't do a new thing here. Eastside is a church in our division that DJ Vic, one of my favorite people, and a guy who was a deeply anointed pastor, but he was so different than Jim Hayford. But there were thousands of people, or 1,300 people, that were so invested in the cruise line ship that Eastside had become. And I don't mean cruise line in a bad way, I just mean big ship, a lot of people, I don't mean relaxed, but people were so invested in there that, that GJ was coming in doing something, trying to do something new and different, and people just didn't want to do it because they already had their relationships, they already had their programs, they were already doing their ministry. There was already all this good stuff happening, he couldn't change it. And he eventually ended up having to leave and now he's doing quite well at a church where he was able to come in and do what he does. See it? And now, of course, the second person comes in and can make the church new. That's how it works. The first guy after some of that kind of a thing always gets killed, okay? So he's been stripping us down so that he could do something new, so that it wasn't so difficult. There was enough people with enough love. The people in this room that are here right now are so passionate about Jesus that if you knew that Jesus was doing something, the vast majority of people in here would say, I'm in. Even if it's rough, even if it's tough, even if it doesn't go like I want, I'm in. Communities. That was really, it's, it's not 2016, it was really 2015, the more I think about it. It was happened the same time about the stripping did. And community is super simple as this. God has been talking to me, you've heard me say it a million times now, God has been talking to me about, you've got to get rid of Sunday morning as being what church is. You've got to make church be what it was supposed to mean, ecclesia, the gathering of people who are living life together ministering, doing things. We've got to take the 405 out of play. You gotta have a community in your community. I'm gonna argue for the big church too in just one second, but I just wanna say, that's what God's been doing with us for the last several years, you know that. And I wanna say right now, we, are, we have started it and we've, we've had some rough goes as we were learning, because nobody's doing what we're talking about doing. This is not small groups. This is a different idea. It's about how to live life together in a community, in a communal fashion. And the fact is we had some tough goes and now we're starting to get some traction, I believe. And Justine talked about it. And she's the one that's been doing this. But the point is, we've, we're starting to get some traction. We're starting to start to figure it out. And we're just kind of, you know, when you're hacking your way through the woods trying to find the high road, you make some mistakes and then you get it and all of a sudden you start getting some traction. And I think we're just starting to get some traction on what communities are supposed to be. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know, but I think so. And then the Lord comes in and he says to us right now in 2020, I want you to press in. I want you to pray. I want you to seek me because I'm trying to do something new and I want you to call it into being so that you recognize when it happens so you can be part of it happening. Now, 
Every gift being used, larger than self, prophetically led. Now we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is the first church, the one that God touched, to show us, if you ever want to know what church is supposed to look like, you go to Acts 2.42 and a couple other verses that we're going to show, and you will see what the church is supposed to look like, because this is the one he touched and made it to be the way he wanted it to be. And from then on, every church is measured by this. Do you want that? And let me just spoil the ending a little bit by saying this. At one point in time, it talks about how everybody sold everything they had so that they would all live. And right there, we're not there. <laughs> so we already know that we're something short of that first church. Having said that, there's actually an argument to be made that that wasn't necessarily the Lord's doing. It definitely shows you the beauty of what was happening. So that's for another sermon. All the believers devoted self to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people, meaning all the surrounding things. In fact, in another place we're not looking at, it says everybody in the community looked at the Christians and admired them but feared to join them because of, it was so different. By the way, this is all a zeitgeist change, you know, right? This new church was a zeitgeist change. All the while praising God and joining the goodwill of people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Now, let's just hit this. Big, we were talking about larger than yourself. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They worshiped in the temple each day. They were meeting regularly. You're, you've heard me say a lot of things about big church. Here's what I want to tell you. There isn't a problem with big church. Big church is not the problem. It's the human nature that got us to big church and then ran big church in a way that was human, not God, is the problem. Money is not the problem. It's the love of money that's the problem. See what I mean? The thing isn't the problem. It's your heart towards the thing. So if your heart's right, you can have and you need to have. This was a megachurch. There was 3,000 people with people being added every day. This was a megachurch. So you can't tell me megachurches shouldn't exist. You may have heard me saying that. I'm not. What I'm saying is, is you, it's really hard to get it right. <laughs> and you've got to be really knowledgeable about the human nature that kicks in, that gets it wrong, that twists it, and takes you into a place that isn't what God wanted you to be. All the believers were meeting regularly in the temple, known as Solomon's Colmate. Now, here's what we're saying. See, Sundays, that's one of our essentials. It's always been. Notice it used to say, some of you remember, Sunday church, by which we were trying to make a distinction between the Sunday morning experience and the whole rest of what church is supposed to be. Now we just call it Sundays because it looks better on the graphic. But here's what we, here's what we mean to do on Sundays. We dig into his word where he leads us prophetically. This is from our website, and I didn't just change this. This is what it's been. We dig into his word where he leads us prophetically, simply meaning he reveals whatever he wants us to know and then sends us out to be and to do his will. This morning is supposed to be about being led prophetically, and that's what the apostles were doing in Solomon's colonnade. 
They were talking about whatever the Lord was telling them to talk to people about, and that was inspiring people. It was giving them marching orders, and then they were coming together in their houses to work through what that meant and to live it out in community, not just with the people in the house, but with the neighbors and the people in the community. You see it? That's what's supposed to be happening, this dynamic of large and intimate. It's supposed to be both things. Now with that, okay, larger than self, prophetically led. Real quick. Larger than self. We're part of Foursquare. I don't make a big thing about it, but we are. That's why it says Jesus saved yesterday, today, forever. That's a Amy Simple McPherson thing. That's a requirement of Foursquare, and I'm happy to put it up there because he is. But here's what happens. We take staff sometimes to the district conference, always to the district conference. That's five states, and it's always pretty good. But every once in a while, a staff member goes to international where there are thousands of people. You know it. There's thousands of people from all over the world. And you get together in that moment, and you who have been so consumed with the local church suddenly realize you're part of something so much bigger. And it just inspires you. It makes you say, I'm recharged to go back and do it the local level so that the local plus the local plus the local plus the local is adding up to this. See it? One plus one doesn't equal two. It equals a thousand the way God does it. It multiplies. So you want to be part of something that's larger. When a church goes to small groups, only goes to home church type stuff. I'll tell a story about it in a second. It dies. Why? They lose the sense of larger than self and they become all about themselves and it dies. Larger than self, prophetically led, but intimate enough to be truly relational. Think about it this way How many people did Jesus change the world with? Twelve. Really, how many was it? Three. There was the three, then there was the 12, then there was 120, and I'm willing to say it was the 12. But the point is, he just did what he did here, and he did it right, so that it wasn't math and addition, it became, I'm gonna go after you in a way that's going to change your life, and then you're gonna go out and change somebody else's life but I'm doing the same thing over here and all of a sudden two becomes four, becomes eight, becomes 16, becomes 32, becomes 64, becomes, you see it? If you disciple properly, it's never anything but one-on-one. -on -one. And yet it becomes the whole world. Quickly, when done right. See, you're not trying to reach a crowd. You're trying to reach a person. Jesus isn't trying to reach a crowd. He was trying to reach a person. See it? Intimate enough to be truly relational. This is this community's thing, so on here. All the believers devoted themselves to fellowship and to sharing in meals. Each day they met in homes. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They were, they were communal. They were living life together each day. See, they were in each other's lives. 
They were letting stone sharpen stone, iron sharpen iron. You know, I said the best way to be discipled by far is to do ministry together. You know what the second best way is? Be in community when you're doing it. Because when you're in community and doing it and you're getting wrong, what's the community say? It's eh, getting a loft. <laughs> you know? You gotta, there's a little finger on the chalkboard happening right there. You might wanna work on, might wanna change that. If you're doing it yourself, anointed man of God, all fivefold ministries inside of you, then what happens? We see them blow up and then blow up all the time. We do best when we're in community with one another. It's safe, it's helpful. When you need somebody to lift your arms, they're there to lift your arms. Threefolds is the outstanding example of this in this church. When I need my arms lifted, I go to my threefold and they lift my arms. <laughs> right? This is what a community is supposed to be doing. And by the way, the community is not just 12 people who are like you. The key to community is this. There's people in there you don't like. <laughs> There's people in there that aren't like you, that you don't anticipate being friends with. You know the best friends you'll ever have in your whole life? The people that you didn't think you were friends with, but then you went through some experience that put you in a foxhole together. And then you discover something about them, they're not who you thought they were at all. <laughs> and there's something entirely different. There's some place where God has orchestrated the two of you to become knit together as one. And when that happens, you're one. I mean, you're life-givingly, unalterably one. There's the vision. By the way, prayer, let me go back to threefold. I love our threefold. I love lots of things. We talk about movies, and, and we have lots of fun talking about movies, and then we talk about cars, or we talk about whatever, football, whatever, right? And then we talk about what's going on in each person's life, and that's really great. You find out for real how a person, what a person's processing, what they're going through. But the time in the threefold, by far, for all of us, the thing that makes us knit together as one is when we're in Baitong or Red Robin, which are the two places that we go, so we're in a public restaurant. In fact, we're in the bar at Red Robin. And we say, what do you need prayed for? And the person says what they need prayed for. And then we go around in a circle and the person prays for them on the left or the right, depending on which way we're going. And we may take 10 minutes. We're in the bar at Red Robin taking 10 minutes to pray. <laughs> None of us even think about it. It's not about the time. It's not about the place. It's about this is the life. This is where the good stuff is. And then we pray for each other. And I mean, after we pray for each other, you feel it, man. You're like, <laughs> you're together, right? It's all there. It's always been there. This is what God wants us to do. He just wants us to go around and around and around and around. Let me tell you what's actually happening in the world right now. Because people don't understand done and they don't understand the butting of heads that's happening and the new thing that's about to come. They're just done with church. They know something's wrong with it. They can't put words to it. They just, and so they're just tired of it and they're not gonna do it. And usually they might be a small group or something or whatever. And I'm, I'm seeing this all over the country. And what happens is, is that this group of people will say, you know what, I'm just done with church. Let's just meet together, just us, our group. 
And then they meet together, and it's awesome. It really is good. It's intimate. It's really good for a while. But in the end, they're not saving anybody. There's no real larger purpose. They intend to do ministry, but it just kind of falls away. And what they end up doing is just kind of meeting. But there's no through line. There's no larger purpose. There's no prophetic. There's nothing that's purposing them. And so eventually it dissipates. And I got to tell you guys, uh, some people that I love, not just one, I wouldn't say many now, but much more than one, (laughs) did this journey. They're done with church, went to a small group, just kind of melted away. They're alone. Their relationship with the Lord is now in peril. And I don't mean abstract peril. I mean as things happen in their life, difficult things, they don't have anybody to come and to share with and to lift them up. They don't have anybody to process with. They're on their own. God said it is not good for man to be alone. And people, because of this done thing, are ending up alone and Satan is causing things to happen in a way that they are losing their faith. I'm telling you, I, I could, if I could just tell you some of these stories, but I can't. But I mean people that you would have never thought would have ever doubted God are really having a big problem with God. Because they lost their umbilical cord to life. In community, here's how God says it. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together. Read this as his word to us right now in the middle of this moment. This is not the time to quit, to neglect meeting together. By the way, pastors who want to build a big church will use this and say, see, you have to come to Sunday morning. Let me come against that spirit right now and say that's the way to twist the word for your own ends and that's not what God is talking about. What he's talking about is being a genuine part of a genuine family that has purpose and through line and prophetic and the whole thing. It's not about Sunday morning church at all. It's about gathering, really sharing, really being in community with. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward to as we anticipate the day that's coming. Do you hear that? The impulse is to be done. The wrong response is to go be alone. <laughs> you gotta go after it. Here's what I'm suggesting you do, and I mean this. I'm suggesting to those who are watching, I hope the people here continue to think this is the place, but what I'm saying is the people that are watching this, and again, there's gonna be a lot of people watching this that are going to churches where they're done. I'm telling you, pray and go find the Lord and go find the congregation that's got the heart that is trying to grow people and then become part of that journey where you're helping to grow people and people are helping you to grow, become part of a church that's actually trying to grow people, trying to grow you and through you and with you others. Go be a part of somebody, a church that cares about actually discipling, actually doing this, and that is definitely and discernibly not about trying to just get big. If you're in a church where you're thinking that they're just trying to get big, I love you. If you love it, 
God's using you there, fine, stay there. But I'm telling you, when it wears off, and it most likely will, there are lots of places God is speaking generally. He's speaking to many, many people. And when that happens, go be a part of that. If you pray, he will open your eyes to see a community that's doing this. Get in it. That's where you're going to grow. The word behind gathering there is not ecclesia, which is one of the gathering words. It's uh, synago, which is a gathering, which is where we get synagogue from. And I would argue it's like communities. Help me, Lord. Quickly. I had a discussion with a really good friend of mine who is just a off the charts, brilliant, and loves God with all his heart. Anytime we get together, we don't get to talk nearly enough, but anytime we get together, we always have the most wonderful conversations about what God's doing, and he's somebody like me that's pressing into what God's doing. We just got together recently. He was the pastor of a 3,000-person church about 10 years ago, the same time God was telling me that discipleship was in the, discipleship was in the toilet. He was pastoring this church, and he said, this is not what God wants. He had every reason to continue doing it, but he just said, this is, not what, this is not actually discipling people. I don't know what's going on, but I don't know. So he stopped and he went and got a couple of doctorates and, and just to spend some time with God and figure it out and everything else. And then the church did shrink some, quite a bit. And when he came back, they, were, they said, you know, would you be our pastor again? And he prayed about it and he thought he would. And here's what he did. He said, you know what? What I'm gonna do is, he said, I'm not gonna do Sunday church every Sunday because I figured out there's a problem with that and I don't wanna be a part of the problem. So what we're going to do is we're only going to meet once a month. And the other times, you're going, to be, you're going to have home churches. Not just small groups. You're going to have home churches, 20, 30, 40 people. But you're going to have home churches. And then you're going to have a church service. And somebody's going to give a word or, or you know, we're, there are various things that we, we, they tried and everything else. We're going to create these home churches. Now, he's telling me this. And we always talk about what God's doing. And before he even finished, I said, it didn't work, did it? And he stopped and he went, yeah, why? Because <laughs> we've been talking about needing to get the church into smaller communities for years. And I said, it didn't work, did it? He said, yeah, why? And I said, because the through line got lost. The once a week, the once a month, excuse me, the once a month gathering, they lost the prophetic he said, that's exactly right. He said, now I'm sitting here. I got all these home churches that become insular. They're not really evangelizing. They're really enjoying each other. In fact, now I'm saying, gee, there's a problem on the other side. And I'm trying to get them to come back together and saying, ah, we don't think we're going to come. <laughs> because we like what we're doing. Because we enjoy each other. But they're not evangelizing. They don't have purpose. They're not doing the through line. They're not doing the God thing. You see it? God is trying to get us into communities. He's trying to get us into these communities, but he's not saying get rid of the larger. He's saying you've got to have this mix, this tension between two things. You can't become small in a way that you become insular, and you can't become large in a way that you don't quit caring about and able to care about the person. You see it? You've got to work both sides of this thing in order to keep a tension in there that keeps you oriented to the larger but all about the intimacy. This is what God's trying to do in the church right now. 
This is what I believe the new church is going to look like. Now, here's what I can tell you. I have no idea what it's actually going to look like. I really don't. I, I can't tell you if it's bigger or if it's small. I don't think it's about big or small. <laughs> I think it's about somebody that's trying to hear the Lord and trying to come into the new thing that he's doing that is genuinely discipling people and that is also setting course prophetically. I'm convinced that we have to press into God to create new kinds of community. This part I am certain about. This next part I'm not so certain about. I'm still praying through and trying to figure it out. I believe that it may well change what our larger gatherings are. I think they need to change too. And why? Because have you ever heard the, the, you ever heard the medium is the message? It, it, what, it, what, it's, what it's saying is this. Um, you, uh, in, in business, we say it this way. You are perfectly designed to get the results that you're getting. So if you want to get different results, you can't just iterate on your design. You've got to change your design. Because <laughs> your design is getting you the results that you're getting. You've got to change what you're doing in order to get a different result. That's what God's trying to do. And I don't know what it means for Sunday gatherings. I don't know what it means. What I do know is he's going to lead us into it. If we'll seek him, if we'll pray, if we'll press in. So the last week what I said is count the cost. And primarily what I meant by that is, is God is going to, be, going to be asking you for more than what right now you're willing to give. Because we've got into a nice comfortable pattern of church being a certain amount of time and my small group being a certain amount of time and the rest of the time is mine. And I think we have, to, we have to count the cost. We have to understand he's trying to do something new. Now here's what I am telling you though, I'll tell you this too. It's not just you're not gonna have time to do what you wanna do anymore. God is gonna make you wanna do the things that he wants you to do more than anything else that you'd ever wanted to do in your life. Because when you start seeing what he'll do when he touches and anoints, you'll start saying, that's the best thing I've ever been a part of and I don't care about that other stuff anymore. That's starting to pale in comparison. I wanna be this. You see it? But here's the problem. See, we still don't know what this is. So last week I said, count the cost. Is this important enough for you to ask him to do in and through you? And I hope you prayed that. I did. And then here's the prayer for this week. God, I wanna be part of what you're doing. The new gathering you're building. Use me to help build it. I will seek you. I trust that you will reveal to me so that I can do. You see it? I can be a part of it. I get to see God. And here's what I'm gonna tell you. If you've ever been part of a move of God, it's the best thing that's ever happened to you in your life. Some of us have been part of more than one. And we can look back at each one and say, best time, best time, best time. And those other times that things became, yuck. Here's the way the scripture says what we're going after. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That is not happening in the world today. We are losing, not gaining. Many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Now, I, I, I hesitate even putting that in there because I'm not saying do it so that you'll see miracles. I'm saying be about the business that God wants to do and he will do all kinds of miracles. 
but it's not about the miracles. If you get it about the miracles, then you get it wrong. If you get it about ministering to people and God just does whatever he's gonna do, you'll start to see a God who is the God of the Bible, who is the God as he revealed himself in scripture and who he wants to be in your life. So Lord, in Jesus' name, this congregation comes before your throne right now and we ask you, make us the people which you desire us to become. You have a thing that you wanna do. Make us prayers of praying that in. Make us the ones who are calling it into being because we're telling you right now, I hope with one heart, and if you don't, then don't, don't pray this with us. Don't pray this with me, but pray this. I don't mean repeat, but I mean pray it as I'm praying it. Lord, we want you to bring the thing that you want to do. Lord, bring the thing that you want to do. Lord, bring it. We say, your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, God. And now in Jesus' most spectacular name, God, we say, when you start to do it, open our eyes, let us see it, get us, make us. <laughs> we give you permission to knock us out of our own comfort zone into your presence where you're doing what you want. And so in Jesus' most magnificent, spectacular, and beautiful name, God, do whatever you want to do through me. Do whatever you want to do through us. Make us who you want us to be. You're the only one that can. We don't get in your way, and when we do, get us out of the way. But in Jesus' name, make us who you want us to be. Reach down in front of you, and there's a cup, two cups. Help me keep it there. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we're going to take communion now, which means to become one with, to seal this thing that we just talked about. And what I'm saying to you is, is put your finger down in there and say, I've not been this. <laughs> and I realize I've broken my life by being about my business, not yours, by being about my agendas and my will, not yours. By the way, if you're somebody who does not know the Lord, what a beautiful time to say, God, I want to do things your way. I want to see what that looks like. I want to live in that new reality. So this is a perfect time to take this cup with us as we say, I recognize that my life is broken. I recognize that my life has a healing that needs to happen. And so we lift this cup to Jesus who took upon himself everything to us and who healed us and made us whole. So whether you're doing it for the first time or the thousandth, we take this cup together to say, heal us and make us whole. And I always like to think of the cup as the life is in the blood, which is to say that the life that God wants for us has already been poured out. It's just waiting for you to drink it. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, would you please, would you please make my life be what you intend? I want to swim in that river. Take together in Jesus' name.
Thank you, ushers, for coming forward.